to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better. Happy New Year, coaches. Hoping that 2022 offers some great opportunities for you in terms of growth, development, and ultimately success as a coach. I've set myself a goal this year, and I'm going to tell you about it right now. I'm deep into the process of creating an online course based on what I've learned from running this podcast for over six years and 100 plus episodes. And my goal is to release that online course this year. I've gone through the most popular and downloaded episodes to dig up the coaching gold nuggets to share with everyone. The title of the course is Evolve Rugby, and it's going to be big. Six modules, 26 chapters, worksheets, reflective journaling, transformative information, all from the comfort of your own home. Filming has already started, so stay tuned for updates and release dates. But for now, kick back and enjoy this episode. All right, welcome to episode 101 of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer, and joining me today is Sean Graham. Sean is the Director of Rugby at Nudgee College in Queensland, Australia. He coaches there and has also had roles with Junior Gold Cup, Junior Reds, and Regional Schoolboy Rep Teams. He is also a World Rugby Educator and is heading up a Youth Rugby Coaches Forum soon at Nudgee College, and it's a pleasure to have him on the show. So welcome, Sean. Thanks, Andy. Mate, if I'm honest, if anything, I should be thanking you. <laughs> I'm just shy of three weeks post up, so my usual summer holidays at the beach I've certainly missed, so chatting rugby with you is an absolute blessing today. Awesome. Ah, stoked. Stoked I can help out in, in any way. So ACL op, uh, obviously rugby-related, long-term rugby-related maybe. I don't know if it was an injury playing or uh, the wear and tear of the game, but how did you, how'd you first get into rugby and, and what were kind of some of your playing experiences uh, leading up to now? Yeah, so I'm, a, I'm from a big family, one of um, six and there's five boys in my family. And my old man said to us when we were young that we could play whatever sport we wanted, but the only sport he would drive us to was rugby. So that was it. <laughs> awesome. Off to rugby we went, um, started playing down at the Jeeps Rugby Club at Ashgrove in Brisbane when I was five. Back in the days when it was barefoot, nice. loved the barefoot days. <laughs> um, and and but to be honest, I think most of my rugby development happened in the park across the road from from where I grew up. Yeah, we had a really cool neighbourhood. So basically, in the summer we'd play cricket, and in winter we'd play rugby. And, and that was you know two on two v two, three v three. Sometimes if we were lucky, you might get a five v five game in. We'd even drag the mower across the road from home and, and mow in the outlines and the try lines. So, yeah, it was good fun. And um, went to a primary school at a little Catholic school called St. Williams. And the principal while I was there was Jack Eels, John Eels's dad. All right. Um, so that was another influence on, I guess, how I ended up at my high school, which was Mara Stashgrove, which is where John Eels went. And he kind of helped facilitate that move across. My older brother didn't go there and, I was really keen to go there because of the rugby and, um, yeah, he was quite influential and kind of helping helping me get into Marist. And so I played all my school rugby at Marist and, and continued to play club 
all the way through um, down at Jeeps. Initially, I was a inside back slash fullback. Mm. And then I, I sort of didn't have a growth spurt um, for quite a while. So I got a bit slow and eventually moved into the back row when I was sort of 14. And kind of my rugby kind of plateaued a little bit in those uh, middle years, sort of 14, 15, 16, because I was a late developer. So I struggled a little bit. Um, and then I had a bit of a breakout season. I think my second year of Colts was about 19. You know, I probably finished only finished growing when I was about nineteen or twenty. So I really, uh, really sort of came on, and yeah, I was playing Colts one, and then made the Queensland under nineteen side, and then um, yeah, and then went on and played a few years Premier grade down at Jeeps, um, bit of rep stuff, and to be honest, I was a really poor trainer. Like I, I, <laughs> I liked surfing in the in the summer, and, and probably didn't apply myself to the preseason. So mm-hmm. I feel like I probably didn't reach my full potential. Sounds um, familiar. And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, um, and then I started teaching. Well, you know, I was going through uni and I started teaching and then kind of decided that I to be. I, I felt like I got a little bit more satisfaction out of the, the coaching side of things and mm. so I moved from playing into coaching in sort of my mid-20s and, yeah, and that, that was it. That was my playing days. Yeah, it's, it's funny you're talking about playing playing footy across in the park and and stuff like that and I, I just wonder is you know I've been I've been out of Australia for oh, 14 years now uh, living in Canada and uh, here it's very uh, 10 months a year hockey uh, and then you play whatever uh, outside of that a lot of people are but a, a lot are still you know where where my wife and I are pretty strict with that with the kids is like there's seasons for every sport and when when you're in season you're in that sport. Um, curious about where where Australia's at now. Do you do you see much footy in the park still in 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 rugby season, or or is there less of that from from you looking at that? Yeah, I think I think probably there is more challenges for for kids these days. You know, a lot of boys mm. and girls come home from school. Mum and dad are both working, so they may have different rules where they're not allowed to go outside until mum and dad are home from work, and that may may not be until it's dark. Yeah. Um, where I work here at Nudgee, it's a boarding school. And, and what I do love to see is at lunchtime here, like our boys have got heaps of place, heaps of area to, to play. So there's yeah. lots of little games of touch and soccer and handball and basketball. So that's all still happening after yeah. school here. We, we have big games of touch still up on the, on the ovals um, every afternoon. And I think I, I had an uh, interview with James O'Connor, um, you know, through our COVID lockdown 18 months or so ago, and he spoke a lot about a lot of the little tricks that he learned were in those little afternoon games of 2v2, 3v3. Like I certainly learned how to kick both feet, pass both ways, step off both feet. You know, that's the time in the saddle when you're, when you're hitting the grass every afternoon, and like rather than just, you know, training once a week, that's where you can really, yeah, master your craft. What, what about mud footy on the, on the grounds at Nudgy? They let, let the kids on there for that? Yeah, well, the flats, the, the flats down the bottom of, of Nudgy were notorious for like they're down in the wetlands. Oh, right, so they, okay. Like it, if it rained and it would just, the water just sat there for, to be honest, for weeks. And it's actually just been redeveloped in the last 12 months where the bottom fields have, have all been, yeah, fully redeveloped. Um, so gone are the days where the water will sit there <laughs> and the, there's mud rugby. The, the water actually drains off within a few hours. So there's yeah, certainly a lot better for. <laughs> this, well, yeah, in a way, um, they're, they're magical now. But, yeah, no, there's, 
yeah, lots of um, lots of, yeah. How good's wet weather footy? Bare yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. No refs, no coaches. It's awesome. <laughs> cool. And you you mentioned you got into coaching pretty early there in your twenties. What what were some of those first experiences like? Yeah, well, to be honest, I feel like I've kind of always been a coach. Like I've got three younger brothers, um, and I've, I've always got a lot of satisfaction and enjoyment mm-hmm. out of teaching them different things. And like whether that's learning how to ride a bike without training wheels, or you know, skateboarding, or surfing, or cricket, or you know, even just learning how to do a flip on a trampoline. Like we we just spent you know hours and hours in the park or in the backyard doing that sort of stuff. And mm. like I really enjoyed that. So I love the detail in like skill acquisition, but probably more so like the way the mind works and kind of challenging people to kind of go out of their comfort zone when they think that they couldn't do something and kind of using different motivational techniques to, you know, to encourage or challenge or, you know, empower something. So I guess that's where it all started. Um, My first formal coaching gig, I guess, was my little brother's under 15 Jeeps club team. And that was my first year out of school when I was 18. And in that same year, I also coached the 13 Fs at Maris back at the, you know, the high school that I attended at, which is, you know, a pretty common thing to do as an old boy. Um, and I look back at, um, you know, those early experiences and I think my memories are just of how much fun it was. And I yeah. think, I think like then I look back and I think that was probably a bit of a light bulb moment where I realised, like, this is something that I really wanted to do. And I guess the following year I started um, my degree um, at QUT as a, um, to be a primary school teacher. Oh, that's awesome. And, you know, in that, in that time between now and then, what, what would you say? Because that, like, for me, that's, that's I'm envious of, always envious of people who start coaching in their, in their 20s because it's like you get a lot of the stuff out that needs to go and but you also got that kind of, youthful kind of enthusiasm that uh you know that you'll take risks and you'll have a crack and well between now and and back then what what would you say are some of the really big things that you've you've taken from coaching that you're you're like you know this is this has stood the test of time and um is consistent in in my delivery year year in year out yeah look i think like obviously in those early years you're just winging it yeah um you know, like often, and I've heard some of the other guests on, on the pod talking about, like you, you often just coach the way you were coached. And mm. but I feel like um, something that, like as I mentioned previously, like it was the enjoyment factor. So I think as a coach, like if you're enjoying going to training mm. and you're enjoying like the game day experience, and often often that's going to rub off on your players. Like, in, you know, like that enjoyment is like, is, is it is, if it's not fun for you and you're like, dreading going to training well then something's not quite right like yeah it's, if it's not fun for you it's not going to be fun for your players so that's something that I always remind myself of like those early experiences of how much how enjoyable it was and whether that's coaching the 13 Fs or you know a rep side or you know where there's a bit more high pressure and first 15 rugby and whatnot like it's got to be fun um, but like I do talk a bit about fun like what does fun mean like and sometimes mm. coaches can be and, and players may think fun is just mucking around, playing a bit of touch and, you know, like we don't really want to get stuck into any contact or hard work. But, like, we, we do coach reviews and, and player feedbacks here at Maris, like across all of our teams. And I can tell you now, like, the feedback that we get from players, it's like that's not fun. Like, fun for them is being challenged. Um, they want training that's organised, mm, you know, yeah. reasonably structured, 
Um, they want to they want to learn something new. Uh, they want to mm. be physically challenged. Mm. Um, so that's what fun is. So I think that's for me like those early experiences. Although, yeah, I was winging it. I definitely carry through that that whole enjoyment factor, and I, I still I still love it. And that's obviously why I'm still doing it. Yeah, yeah. You do. It's a fine line. You don't want to just like drop the reins completely, but you also don't want to just destroy them as well uh, physically. So. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I I think that's it's a it's a it's a word I use a lot, and quantifying it's probably a, a good way to look at it. Um, yeah, and sometimes sometimes hard work can be fun. Like if you if you work together with a group of group of players and you you work through something that's difficult and it's you know might not be enjoyable at the time, but at the at the end of that, you're like, okay, that's that's a great experience that we've shared together and. I find also I like using the warm-ups to really kind of get get that fun factor in. Um, I don't like being super technical in those that that time of time of the session. So I always find that's a, an area where you, you can be a little loose and can get get some laughs going as well. Yeah, I think yeah, just not taking yourself too seriously. Yeah, like, you know, you want to make sure that you can have a joke. And, and obviously, there's times where, particularly when you're dealing with adolescent boys. Um, you know, there might be times where they might need to be, um, you know, spoken to a little bit sternly or whatever, but, like, I always make sure you repair those relationships if they need to be repaired. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at the end of training, you have a bit of a joke and you make sure that you're just separating maybe some of that rugby stuff to the personal stuff. Um, yeah, 100%. Yeah, and I think that the other sense. thing – yeah, I think the other thing is, like, the, the whole – when you say, like, those early experiences – I feel like you, you're like you're always hanging on to something that makes your coaching a little bit unique. Like, and that's probably your own personality, and and often that's maybe how you interact with your players. But I think, like, you as a coach, like you're constantly adapting and growing. Like, I don't think I could think maybe when when I first started coaching, like you might have some initial success. Like you have this team and you go really well and you think, oh, my God, I've got this. Like I think I've mastered coaching. Like, yeah. But then you realise pretty quickly. Wrong with like, everyone. Yeah. It's like, are you kidding me? Like this is easy. But then you realise pretty quickly like often, well, the game's always changing. That's the first thing. Like, mm. The game's very different and that's constantly evolving. And, and But then also the boys and all girls that were coaching, like a 15-year-old or a you know, thirteen-year-old, twelve-year-old boy or girl today is very different to to one sort of twenty years ago. Um, so the way that um, maybe they're motivated, um, or they they like to be given how they like to receive feedback and things like that, it's mm. it's changed. So we need to change because ultimately, as a coach, our job is to get the best out of our players and then obviously the team as a whole. Um, so we have to adapt. We, we can't be thinking, oh, because it's not about us, it's about the players. And no, so we've got to make sure, that, yeah, we're getting them. Um, we're doing what we can to get the best out of our, our team. Yeah, no, great point. All right, well, what's what's your favourite part of the game to coach? And, and if someone was to come along and watch a session, what, what's that going to look like? Yeah, well, as I mentioned um, previously, I played in the backs up until I was about 13 and then, yeah, my body stopped growing, so and then I was really slow, so I sort of hit in the back row for a little bit. So I've played backs and forwards. Um, so I've actually, yeah, been a specialist forwards and backs coach um, over the years. But I probably wouldn't say that's 
like is a favourite part of the game mm. um, in regards to maybe forwards, backs, attack, defence. I love all of it. I think for me the favourite part is the relationships that you build with the players. Um, yeah. and, I, and I kind of mentioned earlier those early experiences of the different ways that you can inspire or motivate and challenge. Like I really love, um, I love that challenge of sort of getting to know the different personalities in your team and kind of breaking that down and working out, okay, well, look, I, I need it. He loves a good rev up, but he loves, you know, softly and a pat on the back and sort of just getting that balance right, um, yeah, to get the best out of your players. Um, I think in terms of what a session looks like, um, last last season, so 2021, I coached the 13 A's. Like I was coaching the first prior and just being with the program being so big, I, I needed to free myself up. Um, it was just too much um, time with the first. So I went back to the 13 A's and I loved it, loved working with, with the younger guys. And I tried a few different things. As, as I mentioned earlier, like we're always wanting to adapt and try different things and have that growth mindset. And one of the things I've, I'm really passionate about is I'm trying to get kids to communicate better on the field. Like yeah. often I'll say, often I'll say to the boys, like they, they love talking in class, um, but all of a sudden you get to the rugby field and they, no one says a word. Nothing. Yeah, nothing. <laughs> and, and so we think, okay, and we whinge about it as coaches. Oh, they don't communicate and blah, blah, blah. And that's a big, that's something that you'll notice. That's the difference between like schoolboy rugby, like a training session at school compared to like club land is the volume Mm. of noise at, at training, like particularly. So it's, I've, I've been really trying to challenge our coaches to, to how can we develop this in our players. So what I tried this year was basically creating scenarios in training where players had to problem solve because I feel like if, they, if, they, if they're required to problem solve, it means that they have to communicate. Mm. So little things like, you know, often when I, when I used, used to do like groups, when I'd get them into groups, I would organise the groups for them. So rather than doing that, I'd say, right, oh, you've got put a time constraint in. You've got 20 seconds. I need you in groups of five. You need to have three forwards and two backs. Go. So for them to do that, obviously, they've got to organise themselves. They've got to talk. Oh, I need another forward over here quick, mm. blah, blah, blah. So everyone's talking. Just little things like that. And they get they get really, really good at it because if they don't do it under the time constraint, then you know they might have to hit the line and there might be a little bit of conditioning, punishment or something like that. Um, other things like markers. So this year I'd, I'd, I'd – um, used no markers at training for the whole season. Didn't have mm. any markers. Um, so rather than – and I would have always put markers down, you know, even just doing oh, basic – the worst. Passes. That was the worst. Yeah. <laughs> so you put them down, it looks beautiful because I'd love yeah. training looking really neat. And I was thinking, yeah, oh, look, yeah, if someone wants to walk past, I want, oh, wow, look at this guy. How it's all colour-coordinated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> looks like the – Looks like the the airport, the runway coming. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I just pulled all markers out. And, and again, that just required the boys to think for themselves. Because if you've got, you know, coloured markers down and you say, boys, just jump behind a marker, it requires no thinking, no problem solving. Mm. They're just robots. They just move to that space, which, again, it's not helping them no, in the right. game. There's obviously, yeah. So little things like that, no markers. They've got to find space. Um, work out their own alignment um, and they get better at it as the season goes on. I would pull back my instruction. Um, so I'd, as the season went on, I, I, they sort of knew what the drill would be. So rather than me over communicating it again, I'd just go, right, boys, we're just going into that bang. And then off, off they would go. Sometimes I would, I would stop talking in the middle of instruction and then I'd say, I would point to someone and say, what am I about to say? And then they would say, oh, I reckon you're going to say this. And then it's kind of like, so obviously you know they're listening, but again, it's just giving them opportunities to have to communicate um, and just check for understanding. 
And the other thing I do often is just create lots of chaos at training. And obviously that's quite topical at the moment. You know, you want to try to create game-like scenarios at training. And, and I used to think, yeah, yeah, we do that, we do that. But, like, do we really? Like, are you actually doing that? And so we would really do that. Like, so, you, you know, the traditional training session, you do your warm-up, you might do a block of different core skill rotations, then you might play a modified game, you go into your team run, blah, blah, blah. Just flip all of that. So we might start with a modified game because that's what the boys want. They love Perfect. playing games. Yeah, so the first thing yeah. that we do in training, bang, let's just play a mod game and then come in, okay, what do we notice here? Oh, we're well, just a bit lateral with our passing. Good. Go into maybe a little passing um, skill pen back into a mod game. So just bouncing from skill pens to mod games to a team run to a bit of contact. Um, again, so just really unpredictable, really game-like. Um, and, again, when it's game-like, they have to communicate. So that, I, I felt like we had a lot of success from that. It worked really well. Um, and then the other thing that we did, we didn't use any hit shields or, or tackle oh. tubes or anything like that. So through It's all been a long way, time since I've used them. It's, I'm mm, stoked to hear it. <laughs> yeah, so particularly for the younger ones, like 13-year-olds, I feel like the, all the to tackle gear and all that is too big. And yeah. It, it, it sort of doesn't encourage like strong arm wrap. Yeah. And also like if we're encouraging players to run into hit shields and like that's the opposite of what we want them to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we want them to use their 100%. feet obviously and yeah. yeah, get their bumpers up and footwork and all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, and, and that worked really well. We, you know, obviously you're not going to go into a full live um, contact no, block. Course, you need yes. to prime them up first and little one-on-one yeah. primers, but you don't need any gear for that. There's lots, no. lots of great um, – little primers that you can do out there that you can just build up that level of intensity in the the contact zone and then get them into some live um, contact. So that was brilliant. And then even in our warm-ups for pre-game warm-up, I I kind of, again, you're on show. And this is what I say to my coaches all the time. It's the one day of the week you're on show. Parents are watching. They're keeping an eye on you. They want to see, are you organised? You're turned up on time. And and as a a young coach, you're going to get nervous because you're looking at the other – team they've started warming up 10 minutes earlier and and your parents are starting to look at you thinking is this guy know what he's doing because i i cut my warm-up down to about 19 minutes oh i love it uh and, yeah you know we do that little pre-game talk thing um that i spoke about we go around the team everyone contributes and that's basically the pre-game chat and then we get mm. it we get into it and then we're on and, and the pre-game warm-up again is chaotic and i changed it all the time so sometimes i just roll the ball out and run an exit play or, or kick off to them and then you know, bounce from obviously our, our warm-ups and our dynamic movements and all of that, but just try to just challenge them. So if something happens in the game where it's not not going to plan, it's fine. It's fine. We can yeah. we can overcome this because we've, we've been able to do it at training. The game's not predictable. Things can happen. Someone can go down injured. The referee could make a howler. It's no problem. We can adapt and adjust. Um, yeah, and I, I found that, you know, obviously that's, you're sort of risking that a little bit because I've always been all about really structured routine warm-up. I don't want to throw the boys. I want them to feel confident going into the, into the game. But, um, no, I felt like it, yeah, it worked quite well. Love it. Yeah, I'm going to – the warm-up especially, I'm going to steal some ideas there. I uh, like, like all that. And, yeah, I think um, – yeah, hit shields especially. It's like you can control the distance, the intensity, uh, the load, all, all those kind of things that – you, you you technically don't need them. I, I I used them once in my rugby season this year and before that probably didn't in, in three years before that. And 
I, I just think they're a pain in the ass, to be honest, to, to lug out and set up and then, you know, the changeover and the time lost in, in that. If you if you if you can do it well and safely um and and game light to a you know certain degree, um I I I don't I don't buy into them. Yeah, look and I'll be honest, like I'm talking about when I had the team after the preseason phase and you know, I was mm, the yeah. twenty odd players during the preseason phase, like we're running preseason programs for a hundred boys. Mm. You need markets to organise those sort of numbers. Like it's yeah, it, it to be not always, but certainly like when you're trying to fit a certain a number of players on a on a field and whatnot. You know, like I, I, there is organisation required there where you do have to rotate between things. But when you've got your team, um, you know, and you're just into the season itself, the season proper, I feel like um, yeah, you can definitely get away with. Um, yeah, limited gear. Like we use bibs, lots of balls. I'm all about balls. As I mentioned yeah. earlier, I, love, I want time on task. So we'd always have almost the ball between two, maybe three. So mm. and that's the first thing I make sure my coaches have got, you know, eight or nine balls, not two or three, and they're all pumped up. Yeah. And uh, yes. and I like poles. I do like poles, I must okay. say, I, particularly with passing. I like, I like them just having a little bit of visual pressure and it also helps to keep them square. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's sort of the, the only real equipment that we needed this year. Awesome. All right. Well, anyone who's kind of been around Aussie rugby and Aussie schools rugby, uh, the the name Nudgee College uh, is very well known. Um, what's what's a bit of a backstory on on the the history of of rugby in Nudgee College, and you know um, some of the, some of the some of the big moments, some of the the, the names that have come through there. Yeah, so we we actually celebrated our 130th year last year as a college. Wow! And like there was quite a few different celebration and celebrations and events that came with that, and something that came out of it when we when the sort of the school dug into the archives and pulled up old footage was you know rugby is certainly a, a really important part of of the fabric of the school and the heart of the school. Um, often when old boys will be interviewed, they'll talk about some of their favourite experiences of the school, not necessarily playing um, but supporting the first in the grandstand yeah. that's something that the school's really big on is the support and the brotherhood and they talk about 10,000 brothers um, you know the mateship and it's unbelievable like the support um, that the school provides for for the for all the teams but certainly for the first like the boys it's so we have 1700 boys at the school of that 300 aborters and, and you know of that number you're looking at over 800 play rugby. Right. So about 40 teams. So we go down to the E's and F's in every age group. This year we rolled out a – we have an, an eight this year in the Opens. So wow. um, you know, nearly 100 coaches, lots of support staff. So, like, it's a big part of the school. Mm, um, that's huge. It's like the – we've um, – you know, we've had a lot of success and I think a lot of that success comes out of our participation – and not just not just boys playing for a bit of fun. Like there's a, a really large number of um, the players that are really trying to achieve and, and, and mm. play at that sort of that high performance level. And obviously that if you have a big bigger pool of players that are working hard, then obviously that creates depth, um, and that that depth creates um, competition for positions, and that that improves performance. And, and I think that's. That's helped us. The school's won 42 TPS premierships, um, you know, which is the most by by a little way. And then I think mm. 
we've had 26 Wallabies. Um, Folletti Kaitu made his debut in 2021. He was our most recent um, Wallaby. And then, you know, some other recent Wallabies, guys like Sean McMahon, um, James O'Connor, Josh Man Ray, um, just to name a few. And then obviously there's a lot of boys that will go out of the rugby program and go into um, rugby league as well. So there's a few um, good league players running around and then, you know, obviously a lot of super rugby um, players in and amongst all the different um, franchises and, and also all around the world. There's, we, we don't nearly oh, – I, I did say there's probably nearly 30 old boys running around playing professional rugby, if not more, um, currently. So. Wow. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, what what about your role there? What what's the description of your role? How how's that how's that work with in terms of teaching and coaching and and throughout the season? When when you're busy? When you're when you're focusing on more of the classroom stuff and those kinds. Yes, of yes. I'm a I'm a primary trained teacher. I teach um, in the junior school here. So Nudgy goes from year five to twelve. So I teach right. in the junior school, which is year five and six, and I just um, teach PE. And I teach all year round, um, but obviously with, with with the role as rugby director, I don't teach like a full teaching load. Right. Uh, and obviously like our season is in term three, um, but the, we run a full term two pre-season. So for terms two and three, it's pretty rugby heavy with the, mm. um, the open. So the boys are, have aspirations to play in the firsts. We run a, a pre-season through term one for them as well. So it's, if, if you're wanting to play in the first, you'll train turn one, two, and three. Um, but obviously, if you're playing other sports, a lot of our boys will play cricket or volleyball. Or they might be a rower or a swimmer. Mm. So they would have different um, commitments and different expectations through term one. Um, and then for me in term four, it's about reviewing the program and you know looking at ways that we can improve. We're constantly looking to tweak things that we do and look outside and see how other um, – clubs and schools from, you know, all over the world are doing things and how we can do things. Like we have, as I mentioned earlier, it's a big program. So 38 teams, just under 800 boys playing the game. So like that, that comes with, that brings with it a lot of challenges. Mm. Um, like firstly, like if, if I'm out looking for coaches, I need to resource nearly a hundred coaches and, and they need to be available to train two afternoons a week straight after school from 3 to mm. 5 p.m. So naturally that takes out Tough time slot. Mm, most of the population who are working 9 to 5. Mm. So we, we rely on a lot of young old boys who will come back and like I did when I was 18, go back to your school and, and give back and that's mm. that's a good program. And and um, one of my main roles is to support those coaches, those young coaches, and I'm really passionate about that coach education space. Um, yeah. I'm a world rugby educator, um, so that means that I've got the capacity to deliver um, different coach accreditation programs. So I can deliver level one and level two programs. Um, and, and we do that not just for our own coaches but for local coaches. Um, this year, or should say last year, start of 2021, we ran a level one for 45 coaches from sort of all around SE, um, southeast Queensland, sort of like some of the guys – and, and girls who were coaching, you know, community rugby at some of our local clubs came and, and we delivered that program to them. So that's something that I really enjoy. Mm. Um, yeah, and I, I guess the coach ed is something that is is quite topical and everyone talks about, you know, coaches as their, the, the most important asset of any program and, and, and there's so many different ways that you can support them. There's no, um, you know, like a... a 
um, coach accreditation program at the start of the season is great, but then like, what else are you doing throughout the season to support your coaches yeah. on a week-to-week basis? And when you've got 90-odd coaches in your program, it's like how, how are you getting around and providing that ongoing support? Um, so we, we've tried lots of different things, uh, and I'm sure you have as well, Andy, like is, um, and I'm sure you've heard a lot about it. And I'm, I'm really interested in this space and, um, you know, like, filming coaches, giving them feedback, miking coaches up, letting them listen back to how they're communicating with their players. Um, you know, like listening to podcasts like yours, like just in their downtime, um, you know, there's lots of resources out there. It's just finding the time and um, and also in motivating the coaches to go out and, and want to better themselves as well. I yeah. think that's really important. Yeah. Yeah, lots of challenges there. Um, I've... I, I'm heading up the coach development at my local club here, and um, yeah, you have you have coaches from such a wide range of experience and such a wide range of kind of you know intensity levels. Some some will some just want to rock up, others want to go hard, and they want they want to drink from the fire hose. Um, so yeah, finding finding that balance is is important. You know, what about disseminating information to, you know, a hundred odd coaches? How do you, what have been some things that work for you in terms of, uh, do you use software or do you use email? Do you use, um, like WhatsApp groups? What, what, what's been working for you? Yeah. Like I've tried a combination of all of those things. And, mm. and as you mentioned, there's some of the challenges there are, oh, I've got coaches in the program that are 18 and 19 and like WhatsApp's perfect for them. Yeah. And social media is perfect for them. But then I've also got some of our older heads who are, you know, pushing on their retirement from teaching. Still Um, on the old Nokia. (laughs) They wouldn't know what WhatsApp is. Um, So I think just being flexible um, and and also asking the coaches what works for them. So at the start of the Mm. season, I often will do a little survey. How do you want, um, how do you want to be coached as a coach, I guess, and, and kind of, being flexible and, and realizing it's a bit like the players in your team, everyone's a little bit different. So like one one coach ed program is not going to work for everybody. And also like you've also got to be um, considerate of the fact that look well, often these coaches are volunteers. Um, yeah. and so like what expectations you have of them, you've got to be realistic and yeah, um, I agree. And also, just trying to create an environment where they want to they want to learn and they want to be part of um, a team. So we try to really create like a, a team within the coaches. Um, you know, so there's a little bit of banter, and, and we make sure that um, they feel really, really valued. Mm. And all, like obviously, a little bit of kit helps. Everyone loves yeah. the kit, so that's 100%. something that's critical. Yeah. Yeah. The puffer vests. We've gone the puffer vests the last couple of years. They've been a real hit. <laughs> nice. I like <laughs> um, it. Yeah, so a bit of kid, but like, but certainly just trying to um, make them feel valued and challenging them when they need to be challenged, and, and just trying to keep things really, really simple. I think, um, like, I put myself in their shoes if I'm working full time or I'm studying and I'm turning up to training at three o'clock. Like, how much time have I really put into into planning this session? So, so what I'll say to my coaches is, if I'm walking past your session. And I understand, like, you probably have, well, they certainly wouldn't have had the same amount of time as I have or our first yeah. coaches have to plan a session, which, you know, that's at a totally different level. It's more so let's make sure that there's time on task. We don't, not seeing big long lines of, of mm. players behind markers standing around waiting for a rep. Um, you know, so it's just basic things around, you know, minimise your instruction. Yeah. 
first year phys ed kind of stuff is totally yeah 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 and if you get that right and they're having fun so i say to my coaches at the end of a session if they've learned something new they're physically exhausted and they've had fun like you've probably nailed it if um you know if they're still standing around and they don't look like they've you know they've been challenged like physically mm-hmm. and mentally then you may have missed the mark um yeah. so yeah like it's just just giving them that encouragement and, and challenging them when they can. So we'll do things at the start of the season. We'll do an, a coach induction and I'll model a training session, but I'll film that as well because I understand we won't be able to get everybody there. Yeah. And then and then there'll be some ongoing sessions throughout the season. Then that might be a Zoom call um, where we try to dial as many in as we can and have a chat about how things are going. I'll, I have a weekly email that I send out to the coaches and that will be kind of an overview of how the previous week went and then preview on, on the week ahead. We might look talk about the team that we're playing that week and, you know, traditionally what have they been strong at and what's, what the focus might be um, mm. for that week at training, things that I may have noticed um, across the program, that some trends that we're picking up and things that we need to address. Um, but, again, that's challenging. Like sometimes people will ask me, oh, what's, what's the nudgy brand of rugby? Like how, what's... Mm. Like how do you how, how do you play as a school? And I'll say, well, my 13 A's um, this year we had a national runner in the in the back line, and and the 15 A's had no gas, but they had a decent pack. So this mm. the 13 A's and 14 A's aren't playing the same way. I need a we need to play to our our strengths there. But there's certainly some things across the program that I would consider our non-negotiables, yeah. and that would be the way that we train in terms of our time on task, the intensity that we train at. Um, like I, I kind of have a bit of a mantra that we want to train harder and smarter than our opposition. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'll challenge the boys, you know, I'll say things like, you know, if one of our opposition schools was driving past and they saw us training now, like, what do you think? What are they thinking? Yeah. Like, what, what does it look? What does our training look like at the moment? Does it look intense? Does it look like we're, you know, we're ripping in or are we just going through the motions? Um, so there's... And then the other thing, I guess, is is in and around our core skills. Um, so we're really particular about um, the language that we use in, in our coaching of our core skills, and then and then how we coach them, and just our attention to detail. And that's things around our tackle, ball carry, attack and defence breakdown, and then our catch pass. Mm. So we really um, we smash them, and, and we we train them with high intensity. And then in terms of how we play. I do like to empower the coaches to have a little bit of, um, you know, their own, put a little bit of their own flavour on on how they want to play. Like, obviously, we've got some basics around, like, what our shape may look like off nine and ten, but certainly, like, just in general play, if a coach really likes to exit a certain way or they've got an idea around how they want to restart or mm. they've got a few good starter players that they want to trial, then absolutely, go for it. Mm. Yeah. No, and I... I... I've got to say, I enjoy hearing because <laughs> that <laughs> I, I laugh because I hear it so much. It's like, what's what's your brand of rugby? What what style of rugby do you play across? You know, whether it be five teams or fifty teams, and I, I always push back on that because uh, it it's it makes no sense. Like the style of rugby I want to play is the All Blacks. Like, but if you don't have the All Blacks, you can't play like the All Blacks. So. I've I've pushed back on that even in job interviews where they've wanted me to answer that uh, I want expansive rugby and I want to be doing this that and the other. 
but I always say it depends on the team. It depends on the profile of the players that you have. Where are your strengths? Where are your weaknesses? Because if you have, if you have strengths in your pack, you, you're crazy to to not exploit those. And and same if you have strengths in your back line. Yeah, what I will say to that, and I totally agree. I just think the one thing that I would challenge my coaches on is if if they've got the national runner in their back line or the big um, damaging ball carrier in the pack, we're not going to spend our whole week creating scenarios to get the ball to yeah. the player. Like, 100%. I, I sort of say like we play, I'll sometimes say we'll train to our weaknesses but play to our strengths. Mm. Um, like, and, and also making sure that we're upskilling 1 to 15 and, um, you know, everyone's everyone's getting um, that attention and they're when focusing on all the players in our team, they're all getting the feedback they require. And that's probably something I didn't touch on was, is the feedback side of things. It's something that I'm really passionate about is how do we give feedback and something I will share that I've, I've used over the years, certainly probably in the last five or so years I've used this and I've used this with the first 15 when I was assistant coach here at Nudgee for the last few years and then even with my under-13s and other teams. So sometimes as a coach like you'll find throughout the week you'll often give feedback to maybe the, the bottom end players in your team and then also like your your, your organisers and your team managers, um, you know, the captain. But sometimes you might miss some of those players that, you know, there might be a back row that you know what you're going to get out of them. But sometimes you just forget to give them some, you know, detailed feedback and, mm. and you don't even realise it. You might get to the end of the season you think, what, what have I actually done individually for, for him or for my centre or, or whatnot? Mm. So something that I've found to work quite well is, like, obviously you can reflect yourself and think, oh, have I spoken to him individually at this session or at some point during the week um, and given him something to focus on. But the way that you can actually really get some, I guess, evidence back from that is in my pregame talk on game day, rather than sort of doing the the coach's address, um, you know, before we warm up, I'll basically say a few things and then I'll go around to every player in the team and they'll just give me a couple of dot points and they'll speak to me, but they'll also speak to the rest of the team. So there's accountability with his teammates mm. and then obviously accountability with me. And what he says to me will be a bit of a reassurance or it might be, okay, that is a bit off the mark because if, if he says sort of what I was thinking, it means that like I've obviously spoken to him this week mm. about something specific to the game. So it might be, you know, he might be talk, they might point to the prop and I'll say, oh, when I'm at the front of the line, I've just got to be careful when they do that little sneaky play where where they their front lifter turns and goes up the tracks, for example. So I'm like, great. And so all the boys in the team and all the girls in the team are like, wow, he switched on. I trust him. He knows his role today. And it might be something really specific and he might say that and then he might say, um, just got to make sure we scrum a little bit longer. We've been a little bit lazy. We've got the hit, but then we just haven't kept the pressure on. So the, the delivery off the back of the scrum has been a little bit messy. So we've just got to scrum a little bit longer today. So really detailed things mm. that I've obviously, or one of the coaches says, spoken about throughout the week and if everyone in the team is like crystal clear then you think yeah okay that's good I'm, I'm I'm doing my job as a coach I'm giving them feedback they're understanding the feedback and they're able to deliver that back to the team yeah no it's definitely a challenge and I I think uh yeah if you you look at your your team all together you, you're spot on in terms of who you deliver your your message to and then those who are bankable and you know they're going to deliver really good performances most of the time uh sometimes they need a little bit of extra attention staying with nudgy and you know 
the environment that you're coaching in. A lot of people would look at that environment and go, oh, that's like the dream coaching environment. There's obviously advantages to it, um, but there's obviously challenges as well. What what would you say are, are some of the big advantages and challenges of, of your, your current coaching environment? Yeah, well, I guess if I talk about the program as a whole, I've kind of spoken a little bit about this. Like, you know, our biggest advantage is our numbers. Like, we've got, mm. like, huge numbers um, and, and boys that are really driven to, to, to be their best and, and they train hard. They really do and they push each other. So as I said, like so naturally, we've just got this big player pool um, of players that are ready to go, um, and that creates competition for positions and, and ultimately drives performance. Mm. Um, and the other thing is, it's like, and as we spoke about with the kind of the history of the school, like the school really does sort of come alive in rugby season. Like it's just a big, it's a big part of of who we are, and um, and and even for the boys that don't even play rugby, like they come along and support it and they love it. Like it's just a a really cool environment. Um, it's exciting, it's positive, um, and, and it's not just about the first 15 either. Like it's about like we're really, we're really um, big on making sure that everyone feels valued in the program um, and, and we invest a lot of resources into the whole program. So that's, that also obviously brings some challenges. As I mentioned earlier, like sort of resourcing over 800 boys and finding coaches and supporting the coaches but, like, I'm not complaining. Like, we're really well supported at the school. Mm. Um, like, our leadership team at the school um, is very supportive of rugby. And, um, you know, like, in recent years, the, the GPS competition has had some challenges. We've had some serious injuries. Um, and one of our boys um, had a serious neck injury um, a few years ago when he was playing um, back when he was in year nine. He actually just graduated um, last year. So, you know, there, there's some challenges, um, you know, when you have to overcome things like injury and safety and, and also um, the perception of, of rugby in the country and, and the safety side of things. And obviously concussion is is quite topical at the moment. So, you know, they're all some of the, the different things that, that we're facing, certainly moving forward. And, um, and that's why I keep going back to um, educating our coaches and just, and, and, and often that's a safety thing. Like that's, Certainly, where rugby is a little bit different to other sports, there's a, there's a bit more of a duty of care around. You know, obviously, it's a collision sport. Um, you know, the, the, the support um, and the education that we're providing our coaches is so critical um, to not only the enjoyment, but yeah, obviously, the safety um, and the experience of, of all of our athletes. Yeah. Like some of the advantages that we have at Nudgy is all of our playing fields are on campus. <clears throat> so that's quite unique, as I mentioned. Like we literally just got ten brand new ovals redeveloped down the bottom of the, of the school and then up the top of the school we've got another two. And, like, <laughs> Ross Oval, our main field, overlooks the original building of the school, the Tracy building, which is 130 years old, like sandstone, like it's beautiful. Like it's, it's there wouldn't be any better places to play rugby. So it's pretty yeah. pretty special. And so we finish school at a quarter to three and we can be on the park by like 10 past three, mm-hmm. whereas some of the other schools would have to travel to playing field. So we, we're probably on the grass for, for a bit of extra time every day. Um, so that's certainly an advantage. And what, what about the juggle with academics, especially with those, you know, year 12 boys uh, working on HSC and those kind of things? Like you said, you've got 30-plus who are professional rugby players, but you're going to have a bunch who are going to go off to university or trades or, or whatever the case may be. Um, how do you how do you balance those really busy times academically and and try to marry it with a rugby program? Yeah, and that's 
I think that's something that the school does really well. They they obviously value rugby and the sports program, the music program, and um, then we have a really strong social justice program. But um, our headmaster here, the, the, every every year he starts with the same speech and he says the main game is Monday to Friday, mm. eight thirty till three o'clock. And if you do that well, you may have the opportunity and the privilege of then doing what happens after three o'clock and then and then doing what happens on Saturday. So that's yeah, that's a big focus for the school is that, you know, it's a school first and the boys are students first before they're rugby players. Um, so with that, you know, that comes to the, the expectation and the responsibility to be a good student and that's, um, and, and that's probably another point of difference of ours is that a lot of our coaches are actually on staff at the school and they're teachers. Mm-hmm. So even in our first yeah, team program, our head coach, um, Andrew Scottney, who, who was a professional coach, like he was over with the force for a while, coached in Italy and was in Japan and then, he came back like he's a teacher, and we were lucky enough to get to get him to come back to Nudgee um, as a teacher, and then also to head coach the first fifteen. He's been doing that for the last four or so years. Um, but yeah, to have a teacher, you know, as that mentor who's on the ground in the classroom with the boys, can bump into them in the playground, yeah. um, knows the other teachers, so can be really across what might be happening outside or in the classroom, so we can you know, make sure the boys are, uh, are keeping up with their studies and, and behaving themselves and whatnot. So, yeah, having those um, those coaches who are on staff, and, and that's across the whole program. I think all of our A coaches, we would have at least one staff member, if not both, uh, of the coaches. We have two coaches on every team. Um, yeah, they're on staff. So we'd have 20-ish coaches um, who, are, who are, you know, full-time teachers, which is great. Yeah, that's awesome. That's huge. All right, and um, last thing about kind of high school rugby around the the Brisbane area. What if you could change anything in the the high school rugby structure? Um, what what would it be and why? It's a pretty unique setup. The the GPS where it's you know it's a it's very intense. What is it? Eleven games or or nine games or something like that. First past the post. Um, got to be a, a pretty stressful uh, in-season period at times. Uh, what would be some tweaks you'd like to see uh, in terms of that that structure? Yeah, so we're in the, the Queensland GPS competition. There's nine schools. Um, so we play eight competition games and we have a bye. And often we'll pick up a, a game against Downlands um, from Toowoomba in that, in that game, in that round. And then we'll play five or six trial games in term two. But unfortunately, like, <laughs> there's not a, not a great alignment between the different associations in Brisbane. Oh, sorry, in southeast Queensland. So the GPS competition is made up of schools from Brisbane, Ipswich, the Gold Coast and Toowoomba. And then we've also got – there's another association sort of in Queensland called the AIC and then another one called the TAS, but they play their rugby in term two. Right. So the challenge that we have is – there's really only nine schools that are playing rugby in term three. Now, a program like Nudgee's and some of the other schools, um, like we've got so many teams that the other schools don't have the same number of teams, so we're chasing fixtures every week. And that's probably one of the biggest challenges in my role is is to get um, fixtures for all of our teams every week and then to try to make sure that that experience for those boys, particularly the ones playing in those lower teams, Mm. they get an authentic experience and they're not playing internal games each week or, or having to play the same schools um, week in, week out. So that would be something that I'd love to see changed is 
try to get a bit better alignment and whether that's and, and what does that look like? I don't know whether that can be clubs, um, some clubs playing against schools or the AICs and TAS schools and, and GPS schools all playing um, at the same time of the year and that would just create um, more variety uh, and, you know, and obviously a better experience for our boys. The other thing that I'm really keen to see and, um, and, and I, I don't know what my chances of this happening are, but one thing that New Zealand obviously do really well is they have their, their nationwide schoolboy competition. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, we have different challenges, you know, probably more so around um, the location of, of, of our main rugby schools and, and, and travel, but certainly if it would be something that would need to be supported by Rugby Australia. But um, I think something that like I, is crazy, like the big schools in Brisbane are not playing the big schools in Sydney. Like imagine yeah. a Joey's or something oh, like that yeah. getting the opportunity to play. No, it would be huge. And, you know, it would get the um, attention from um, you know, TVs and, 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 you know, broadcast deals and things like that. So that would be something that would be really cool to see. Um, there might have to be conference style or competition competition um, style and then, you know, you might have a final series or whatnot, but it'd be unreal to see. Um, yeah, just to broaden and lengthen the season. Um, I think sometimes, we yeah, we just get a bit caught up in, you know, just playing in our own associations, but mm. I think we need to um, spread our wings. And some of the challenges with COVID, we haven't been able to tour. So, we, you know, we, we aren't getting those experiences of being able to play overseas. Uh, in recent years, we went to Japan um, for the World Cup. So we're able to play some Japanese schools and unis over there, which was fantastic. And, um, you know, we obviously toured to New Zealand in previous years. So it'd be, that would be something that I'd love to see. Especially if you're touring as well. Why, why not everyone meet in Sydney or everyone meet in Brisbane for for a, for a game, even if it's just a one-off game between Joey's and, and Nudgee and that gets televised and then you go off on your respective tours to New Zealand or Japan or whatever. Uh, I think that's got some legs for sure. That would be amazing. Yeah, there's certainly potential there. It's, um, yeah, we just got to, I don't know, put some pressure on the right people and who knows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, well, like I mentioned in the introduction, Nudgee's about to uh, run a youth rugby coaches forum in uh, in January. We're in January now, so it's, it's coming up. Um, can you tell listeners a little bit about that, the dates, the speakers, uh, the structure, and obviously how to get in contact with you if you're in the, the local area uh, to join in that forum? Yeah, so this is something I'm really passionate about, as I mentioned earlier. This is all around that coach education space. Mm. Um, I feel like there's certainly growth that can be made um, when we talk about collaboration and networking um, with our peers. And there's a word that I've um, been using in the promotion of this event called co-opetition. Mm. So basically it's about collaborating with your competitors essentially. And that's what co-opetition means. And it's interesting because a lot of tech companies actually do this. Um, there's some research papers out there where companies like Apple and um, Panasonic and things like that, they'll get together um, every year, every few years, and they'll actually share their latest research with each other. So it's that whole idea of you don't have to protect your IP even with your competitors because if you actually both share your ideas, it actually makes you both better. You don't have to be um, like you don't have to be better at someone else's expense. Like you can both get better together, and that's mm. kind of where the ideas come from. Like I really wanted to create an environment where 
we can really, yeah, bounce ideas off each other. Um, and then obviously um, hear from some experts in the field from all different areas of the game. So, yeah, I'm really excited about um, the presenters that we've managed to put together. We've got like a Dave Rennie and, and Matt Taylor from the Wallabies set up. They're going to do some on-field um, presentations. And then we've got Aaron Webb from the Crusaders. He's their academy coach. He's talking about some of the the character-building things that they build into their um, academy program. Um, we've got some involvement from the Reds. So Brad Thorne, um, obviously the head coach at the Queensland Reds, and then um, Dale there. Uh, academy coach is coming on board. Um, Gina Nelson, the head physio at the Reds, is coming and talking a little bit about injury prevention and stretching and um, prehab exercises. So there's we've got university lecturers. So um, Jonathan Weekly, who's a, a lecturer at AC University, he's actually coming to talk um, to that whole notion of cooperation and and what that looks like and, and sort of challenging the coaches in the room. So yeah, it's. Um, I guess it's we're trying to make it a little bit different to just your standard, you know, um, conference that you might have seen that you know often teachers will go to for their um, professional development. So there's going to be some obviously organic um, networking opportunities over lunch and dinner, but certainly some um, really coordinated um, think tank type sessions where we'll have some different topics and then we'll. Um, strategically place different coaches in the same room and get them to sort of unpack some ideas and mm. um, yeah so like ultimately my aim for the whole presentation is also for the whole forum is that the coaches would leave the, um, after the weekend and a they've they've got some new mates um, in the rugby world um, that they can that they've hopefully created some ongoing professional relationships with um, that they can continue that collaboration process. Like one weekend is not going to change too much. It's, it's hopefully, you know, going to kickstart some ongoing relationships um, that are going to ultimately um, help the experiences that we're giving our athletes um, through, through better coaching. And, and yeah, so there's, um, there's probably a little bit of a, a notion out there that everyone's IP is like protected in, in Australian rugby in a way, like, you know, maybe sometimes I think certainly when I started in the role here at Nudgy, everyone's sort of worried about their own backyard and making their own programs and their own players better and better and better. And then you kind of realise after a while we're actually only as strong as the association that we play in. Yeah. We're only as strong. And then ultimately we're only as strong as the game that we play. And if the game's not strong and the game's and, – and at the moment the game certainly could improve in the country – Mm. So we need to all be doing our bit, um, you know, to, to try to improve that. And then, you know, as I've said a few times, it's the coaches are the most important asset in any rugby program. So whatever we can be doing to support the coaches, um, then, yeah, we should be doing it. Cool. Yeah, I like that rising tide lifts all boats kind of mentality in, in that regards. I think that's really important and, and often overlooked, not just in Australia and in, in uh, most rugby communities you hear people talk about everyone working in silos and, and, you know, protecting their own backyard and things like that. So, you know, it's never healthy when there's one team or one group that dominates and, and everyone else is just going along for the ride. So it's, uh, it's great to hear. And what, what are the dates and, and who are some of the, the speakers that you're excited about? Yeah. So it's on January 21 and 22. It's just a few weeks away. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. As we mentioned earlier, it's being hosted here at Nudgee college and yeah so like 
as I mentioned earlier, we've got the Wallabies and the Reds and um, involvement from the Crusaders. The other one that we've been really fortunate to get is Wayne Bennett. So Wayne Bennett's nice. going to present. Oh, awesome. So he's a, the listeners that aren't familiar, he's um, probably more, well, he's more well-known in the rugby league circles, but certainly a great, arguably one of the greatest um, sporting coaches in, in, in Australia over the last, well, how many years? 30? Mm, probably, yeah. <laughs> Long time, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and he's the new, he's the coach of the new um, NRL team that's, um, goes into the NRL competition in 2023. Um, so he's going to come and talk. But to be fair, like to be honest, like I'm, I'm probably more excited about just meeting different coaches from all over Australia yeah. and sharing ideas and, um, yeah, just chewing the fat over a beer and, and, and finding out, you know, what makes them tick, what are they doing um, in club land or school land that's working. Um, yeah, and, and just hopefully building – um, yeah, some ongoing relationships moving forward, finding a few little gold nuggets, and um, yeah. So what we're going to do with the with the um, with the forum is actually get coaches out of their comfort zone. So often you'll turn up to these sort of seminars and you'll sit with the guys from your club or your school, and you know, with your arms crossed. With your arms crossed, yeah. So that's, yeah. we're going to we're going to actually get coaches <laughs> right out of their comfort zone, um, <laughs> and um, yeah, and make sure that they're really mixing and. Uh, and, and challenging them to to find out about you know different coaches and and, and their philosophies and, and mm. what they're doing. So it's um yeah that's that's what we're really excited about. Awesome. And uh, for people who are interested and and you know coming in last minute to 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 get involved, how how can they contact you? How can they reach out to you? Yeah. So Andy, like I think when we first spoke about doing this pod. Um, yeah, like since then it's sold out. Like we've had a really, oh, a, really, a, yeah. So it's um, we've actually got a bit of a waiting list. But what what I would mm. suggest is just Google Youth Rugby Coaches Forum, and that'll mm. take you the top search will take you through to the try booking site, um, and you can just join the wait list. Um, and if you if you put your name there, we we may find through COVID there might be um, some spots that become available. We may look yeah. to have to do an online version. Um, depending on how the next few weeks look, so that will help build um, build our communications, and, and so we can get information out to you if you just add your details um, to that tribe booking site. Also, we'll be covering the event um, on the Rugby Nudgy Instagram page, and so there'll be some live updates throughout the weekend, so they'll get a bit of an insight into sort of what it looks like and, and what what some of the themes that are coming out. Awesome! I'll uh, I'll be sure to put that link in the in the show notes so people can check it out. Awesome. Well, we always end the show with the same final four questions. When you were a kid growing up in sunny Queensland, who were some of the players that first got you into rugby and got you interested in the game? Yeah, well, I mentioned earlier that Jack Eels, John Eels' dad, was my primary school principal. So Eelsie was definitely someone I looked up to. He was sure. like, I loved his leadership and the composure under pressure. I still remember the. Like what lock goal kicks and, and slots that no, penalty no, no, for a Blairslow. Yeah. That's how far we Blairslow. have to go back. <laughs> I, I still remember where I was. I was in the boarding house at Marist, in, yeah. I think in grade ten, and I watched that. And um, the boarding supervisor at the time said, "If he slots this, he'll shout everyone a Big Mac," and he got it. So we all got yeah. a Big Mac. It was great. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Thanks, Eelsie. <laughs> yeah. And the other one I actually liked was Tuny Ben yeah. Tune. Very different. Uh, like just hundred percent. We used to do the tuny dive, the swan dive. We loved that. Just very evasive and yeah. knew, knew, his, knew how to find 
yeah, I was a big fan of Ben Tune. I, I think if he didn't have the injuries he had, he would have been he would have been right up there with uh, you know some of the best best wingers uh, on well, he, arguably one of the one of the in the top you know five best wingers for the Wallabies. Um, but he he was fantastic, and I was actually in Wales when they won the the World Cup in '99, both Eels and Tune. I couldn't get tickets. I was in the in the pub outside, but it was still pretty pretty awesome. Just that event and um, that try that Tune scored. It was uh, it was pretty epic. Mm. Cool. And what about now? Who are uh, who are some of the players you like to see him run around? Yeah, maybe a little bit biased. Um, a bit of a nudgy old boy here, um, Sean McMahon. Mm. I just love his. He's just so confrontational. Um, yeah. We we've been down when he was playing down at the Melbourne Rebels. We would go down there for some coach PD and just watching him train. It was like he wasn't the biggest guy or the strongest guy in the gym, but as soon as he ran across that white line, even at training, it was on. It was just brutal. And um, yeah, just he was literally a man possessed. And and I just, you just can't coach that. And uh, yeah, yeah, I think he'd be a great addition to the Wallabies. Um, and, and it'd be good to see him back in Australian rugby in the next few years. Yeah, well, those those positive signs uh, mm. in the end of the year tour. So uh, let's hope that continues for sure. Yeah, he's a he's a machine. Um, mm. And what about coaches who who are some of the high profile coaches that you like uh, like what they do and how they how they run their teams? Yeah, well, when we would go down to the Rebels um, while Sean was down there, another <clears throat> nutty old boy was Zane Hilton, um, yep. who was coaching down at the Rebels at the time. Um, as the assistant coach under Tony McGann. And I remember Tony actually one day when we were down there, he said, Zane will be the Wallabies coach one day. Oh, nice. And I thought, well, it really stuck with me. And, and um, Zane's been really generous. He, he's over in Japan now. I mean, he's the head coach of um, the Kyoto and Voltex okay. um, and doing some great things there. But his journey, like, is amazing. He was He finished playing, like, at a pretty young age in his early 20s and was – basically fully committed himself to the art of coaching and he's an absolute genius. He was coaching a grade of brothers like in his mid twenties and um, yeah, was a professional coach before he was 30. Um, Yeah. And he's, yeah, he's really, really impressive. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if one day he's, he's back in the country and um, yeah, maybe got that, got our top job because yeah, he's, he's someone who's just really, um, like he, he wasn't a professional player, so he hasn't gone down that pathway. He's a career mm. coach um, and he's just, yeah, like he's just fine-tuned the art and um, constantly learning, really, really keen to share ideas. We, we, we'll catch up quite regularly um, over Zoom and he's, yeah, he, he, he loves talking rugby and, um, yeah, he's got a really good way of communicating and interacting with his players um, and he's and he's tough too. And I think he he, he loved coaching Sean McMahon because they were mm. sort of um, similar sort of characters. Yeah, nice. Oh, good to hear and definitely uh, keep an eye on that. Um, what are, what about final question? What about grassroots coaches? Who are, who are some people in the in your local community who are doing some great work and deserve some recognition? Yeah, I think someone who definitely needs a shout out is Mick Heenan. So Mick's the Premier Grade um, head coach at UQ has been for the last 12 years. Um, right. He's won six premierships. So, like, they've just had unbelievable success mm. out of that club. He actually, when I was playing for Jeeps, he was he coached me um, and then he moved across to UQ. Um, yeah, and he's just, 
like I just really have a lot of respect for coaches. Like, and he's just doing it. Like, he's not. He, he's got a full time job. This is just something that he does as a passion. Mm. And he's just given so much back to the game over an extended period of time, and and just had a lot of success. And I think anyone who's had um, sustained success, like your Craig Bellamy's in the rugby league world over an extended period of time, I think mm. you know, what, like, there's it's no coincidence. Like, yeah, obviously, they know right. what they're doing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think someone to keep an eye on is. Um, former Wallaby captain Ben Mullen. Yeah. So Ben's back in Brisbane, um, and he, again he's just giving heaps back to the game. He coaches, so he's, he's teaching, oh, not teaching, but working out of Villanova College um, as their director of rugby and doing some coaching there, and has done some work with our junior Wallabies here, and is this year the head coach of Easts Rugby Club, the Premier Club. Right. And I've just had a few interactions with him. He's one of the presenters at the the forum in the next couple of weeks, and it's just there's something about him. He's just got a, just a way about him. Obviously, he's got some really good experience as a player, but I think he's mm. he's really driven to be a good coach, um, and he's just doing yeah doing all the right things. So I think he's someone to look out for. I wouldn't be surprised if if we find him um, in a professional coaching role in the next few years. Awesome, great to hear. Would have loved to have seen him wear the Wallabies jersey for a bit longer too. So. Uh... Hopefully, uh, we'll see him sticking around in, in coaching. So, that'll be awesome. All right, mate. Well, it's awesome to catch up. Really exciting to hear about the Coaches Forum and that it's all sold out. And that's that's going to be a fantastic event. So, just want to wish you all the best for, for that event and uh, the the upcoming season uh, in, you know, several terms time. But all the best there. And uh, thanks for giving up your time to come on the show. No worries, Andy. As I said earlier, um, I need to thank you. So this has been a, a lovely hour to break up my day. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect, mate. Awesome. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. You can also follow us via Twitter at RugbyCoachesCNR or via the website therugbycoachescorner.com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.